Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of the modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wall on us. Painting and taking on all the plate to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. Uh, as you probably know, or maybe uh, will have guessed, I have a particular interest in examples of the Streisand effect, uh, seeing as I came up with that term originally almost 15 years ago. In that time, uh, there have been many, many wonderful examples of how attempts to suppress content has only given that content uh, more and more attention. And uh, over the past week or so, we've seen uh, quite a wonderful example of the Streisand effect in practice. Uh, we'll get into more of the details throughout the podcast uh, because there are so, so, so many details here. Uh, but let me describe uh, the basic overview of what happened. About a week ago, an assistant editor at the New York Times opinion section uh, named Stuart Thompson tweeted that there are bedbugs in the New York Times newsroom. Yeah, this led to a bunch of random jokes, most of them mocking the New York Times or its staff, uh, including one uh, by David Karp, who is a, an associate professor at George Washington University who focuses on the intersection of politics and internet communications. And he tweeted, the bedbugs are a metaphor. The bedbugs are Brett Stevens. Uh, Stevens, if you're not aware, uh, is a longtime opinion columnist currently at the New York Times and previously at the Wall Street Journal. Uh, he's somewhat well known uh, for uh, what I would describe as uh, kind of uh, simplistic and unsubstantiated hot takes from the position of a fairly boring moderate conservative. Uh, one specialty of his is to complain about how easily offended the kids these days are and to mock the left, and I put that very much in quotations, uh, for not being able to handle offensive speech. Well, it turns out that uh, that may have been something of a projection. Uh, Stevens, uh, who was not tagged in Carp's tweet, somehow found it, found Carp's email and the email of the provost of George Washington University and sent a uh, somewhat angry email to both of them complaining about Carp's lack of civility and asked if he'd uh, be willing to call him a bedbug to his face uh, after oddly coming to his house and meeting Stevens' family. Uh, Carp tweeted all of this out, uh, and his original tweet, which had, uh, I believe it was nine likes and no retweets at the time, uh, went super viral. Uh, in other words, it was a perfect Streisand effect. Uh, and here's where something new happened that I'd call a combination of the Streisand effect and Godwin's Law. Those two things don't always uh, combine, or very rarely combine at least, uh, uh, the week went by and this story had mostly died down when Stevens used his Friday column in the New York Times to publish an article about uh, what he called the ingredients of slaughter and suggesting that comparing people to insects was common with the Nazis and referencing Jews and then not so subtly hinting that calling him a bedbug was, uh, I guess, a prelude to ethnic genocide. Uh, even worse, it became clear that Stevens had literally gone to Google Books, uh, typed in the phrase Jews as bedbugs, and used the only result that came back, even though it appears he may have misunderstood what that reference was. Uh, he left the link in the article, though, 
though, uh, and when you link to a uh, Google Books search, it highlights the terms that you searched for so everyone could see what he had done. Um, there's a lot more to this, but I've gone on long enough without introducing our guest today to talk about this, who is none other than uh, David Karp himself, the, the man behind uh, the mild bedbug joke that has now been heard around the world. Uh, so, David, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. What a weird week. <laughs> I would imagine this is, has not been an, a normal week for you in, in any sense. Is this, uh, this is not what you normally do? Yeah, no, it was the first week of classes, too. I sent this tweet <laughs> after teaching the first class of the semester. I've got other things that I'm supposed to have a headache from, and instead... We're talking bed bugs. Super weird. <laughs> I, I mean, there's a part that 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 strikes me as as uh, even odder in that you're sort of the the perfect foil here. In that this this is kind of your specialty, you know, the, this this intersection of politics and, and internet communications. Yeah, yeah. I, the immediate thing that occurred to me, well, the two things that occurred to me when I saw his email to me were, first of all, dude, it's 2019. How do you not understand what's <laughs> supposed to happen next right. and second i know what we're talking about in class on wednesday <laughs> it's when he gives you when he hands you your your lesson plan for you that's <laughs> great yeah um and and you know it's funny to me right you know for years you know I, i've certainly followed all different examples of the streisand effect and, and one thing that i remember was like pretty early on when when the phrase first started becoming popular and i still have honestly like i coined it i still have no idea how it actually became well known uh, because it, nobody talked about it for the first few years and then suddenly it got picked up but um you know pretty early on people started telling me like well now that 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 phrase has become really popular people know and so you're you know the idea of a streisand effect happening again is less and less likely but that never seems to actually work out <laughs> and, and so do you think it's something about like in part because of of you know, sort of where Stevens is in life and sort of his position as sort of a, you know, a, a smart guy in, in theory <laughs> at the New York Times that, that he didn't even consider that this was how this was going to play out? Well, so the thing that we have to keep in mind is that he has so definitely done this before. Right. Um, and there's one example that's really public, and I've now been getting emails from people with other examples. Hmm. But there was this journalist at Deadspin who had sent sort of a, a frustrated email to um, Stevens several months, this was, I think, six months ago or longer. Just, you know, he read a column and he was frustrated and he sent an email saying, like, you, know, you should quit your job or something. And Stevens looked him up, saw that he was also a journalist, and sent this long patronizing email saying, you know, I have a Pulitzer and I sit on all these juries and let me tell you how all of this works because I'm ethical, but you never know. You don't want to be making enemies of big, important people like me. And, of course, the journalist immediately publishes the whole correspondence online, and the Internet takes to laughing at Stevens. So it, it's not even like this was the one time he did it. This guy spends his mo random Monday nights searching the Internet for insults <laughs> and then basically tries to call the manager and whoever insulted him. And the, the thing to keep in mind is up until now, he's pretty much always gotten away with it. Right. And then he decided to pick on tenure professor who has nothing to lose <laughs> and knows a bit about how internet traffic works and it's gone less well for him this time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it's funny too, because, you know, as, as I mentioned in the intro, you know, one of his specialties is, is complaining about how easily people are offended. Um, and, uh, and, and I'm blanking on the, 
the this one of the other stories that he had not that long ago, but it was about uh, you know, how um, how bad it was to try and get people fired uh, for for their speech because there are you know various other attempts. And yet, oh yeah, was, I think it was the defense of Tucker Carlson uh, when Tucker Carlson was talking about how white nationalism isn't a real thing, and then he went on a little vacation for a while. Right, right, um, and so you know, but he seems to be doing exactly the kind of things that he complains about. And, and so it, it strikes me as fairly amazing, you know, and I, I guess there are, there are previous examples of other people um, sort of, you know, projecting their own insecurities that way, but this seems really, really blatant. Yeah. So I, I mean, obviously I've spent a week thinking a lot about this. I had not <laughs> thought a lot about it before this week, Right. but I think it's actually less, hypocrisy than it is evidence of a deep-seated belief that there is a social hierarchy and people are supposed to obey it. Yeah. Right? So what, what he's saying to me when he's sending that email and ceasing the provost is, I'm at the New York Times, you're below me, people below me are not supposed to make fun. Um, what he's saying to that young journalist similarly is, I'm at the top of journalism, I've won my Pulitzer, you're at the bottom, you're not supposed to make fun. And I think, and it looks like the entire internet thinks that it goes the other way around, that yeah. the more you exist in public life, the more you sign up for some light teasing, at least. Um, <laughs> and, and that's what really, you know, like, people have been crediting, with me, crediting me with dunking on the guy. I don't think I dunked on him. I think I was the rim. Like, the entire <laughs> joke here was just me pointing to this co- correspondence and everyone howling in laughter at how much he's overreacting, yeah. and then time and time him continuing to overreact. I'm just the the rim in the blooper reel. <laughs> and the thing is, you know, and, and this got me is like you didn't even really call him a bed bug, which is sort of the premise of why he got yeah. so angry. I mean, you you yeah, I wrote two sentences. One of them was, "This is a metaphor." Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, to 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 whatever extent you're basically saying, you know, that that <laughs> people at the New York Times would would like to get rid of him, and they can't <laughs> and so you know it's it's uh uh the whole thing is 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 so weird um and and so and th- and then the you know so so originally you did that and then he went on msnbc and sort of tried to defend it in the in the weirdest way possible um in that he made two comments both of which seemed really bizarre one was his claim that that the reference to bedbugs was similar to totalitarian regimes, um, which we found out mm-hmm. more of what he meant later when he wrote that the column on Friday. Um, but also he claimed that he he didn't CC your provost in an attempt to get you fired, just so that your boss knew what you were doing or something. Like, I I didn't quite understand why you would think that that. Um, isn't about trying to then punish the person, right? I mean, it seems literally unbelievable that he didn't expect that CCing uh, the provost was an attempt to have have some sort of discipline uh, put upon you. Yeah, it it works at the sentence level and it doesn't work at the paragraph level, right? <laughs> like what he's saying, and again, I think this holds with the image that I, I think he has of how power is supposed to work in society. Yeah, you know, he's not. He's saying, "Well, I didn't want him to get fired, but his bosses should know that this nobody associate professor is earning the wrath, earning the ire of the New York Times. So you should probably take him aside and tell him not to do such things. That people like me shouldn't be spoken of in that manner. Yeah, and that, and particularly for somebody who talks a lot about free speech, that really indicates that that really gives up the game that 
he thinks civility is for other people, and people in his position are supposed to say provocative things, and we're all supposed to ooh and ah and clap. Yeah. That's not how it works anymore. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, I mean, another thing that a lot of people pointed out, which is completely valid, is that, you know, again, you know, your your joke was fairly mild, um, especially for Twitter, where insults fly fairly freely, uh, and some of them are, are a lot more... Uh, well, I would say some of them are a lot more biting, some of them are a lot more obnoxious, some of them are a lot more problematic, um, sort of gently, um, sort of, you know, comparing someone to a bed bug, uh, does not seem like a particularly, uh, rough insult, uh, and yet he's gone completely ballistic over it. And, and I know you've pointed out and lots of other people have pointed out that many other people on, on Twitter and elsewhere are subject to much more caustic uh you know arguments and and uh and insults um you know what wh- why do you think you know such a such a mild comment um set him off so much i i think it is i don't think it's so much the comment that set him off i mm-hmm. again i think that this guy has a hobby of finding small people who said something about him that they shouldn't and then trying to get them in trouble and I think he probably usually gets away with it. Mm-hmm. And when not only did I not like the, the one other co- correspondence he sent after the email, when I posted the correspondence, he then wrote to me again and just said, you're a real piece of work. Huh? And it was after that he, uh, he got rid of his Twitter account and everything. But it, I think that really suggests to me that he has a sense of how society is supposed to be structured. Right. And I didn't obey that. And then everyone started making fun of him. And I think it's that unwillingness of society to obey the structure that he thinks is right and proper and that he has him at the top of it. I think that's probably what's driving the meltdown. Now, again, I'm, I'm not a psychologist. Yeah. I'm probably not his psychologist. But <laughs> having spent a week being forced to obsess about this, that's what I got so far. And and the other thing that confuses me is, is the New York Times and all this. Like, who was who running the show there that they let him publish that column, which – you know, clearly was was a giant New York Times subtweet directed at you, um, and and so yeah. So the one thing I will say in, in their defense is there's a rule at the New York Times on the op-ed side apparently that mm-hmm. they will copy edit a person's columns and besides that their voice is their own. Mm-hmm. Um, that like in the abstract, I think that's an okay rule. I think that sure. they would probably be better off nudging their columnist to, for instance, fact-check them to make sure that they, they get their facts right. His first column for the New York Times required a factual correction because the one claim, the factual claim he made about uh, climate change was just wrong. He read the report <laughs> wrong. Um, so they can probably do better than that, but I, I, I get how if that's your policy, then when he sends this in, the New York Times doesn't say immediately, no, sir, you can't do it. And, and for that reason, like the fact that this came out on a Friday night like, what was it, 8 p.m. on a Friday night of a holiday weekend? Yeah. I read that. I don't know if it's really true, but I read that as the New York Times saying, we can't stop you from writing this, but <laughs> we're going to place that, place it in a time to do minimum harm. Right. Um, the question I do have now is, this is no longer about Brett Stevens, the conservative concern troll, writing sloppy columns that liberals don't like. This is now about Brett Stevens, the conservative concern troll, using his column for a personal vendetta that is yeah. embarrassing for everyone to see. And I do kind of wonder if they're ever going to step in and say, you know, we have a reputation too, and we can do better than this. 
Yeah, and and that's that's part of the thing that I'm trying to understand. And in fact, I mean, there there hasn't been much comment from the New York Times about it as of yet. But like the the one thing that I saw them do is when everyone started pointing out the the link to the Google Books uh, search, which showed that somebody had searched for Jews as bedbugs as a as a search term. The New York Times sort of stepped in and tried to take that bullet themselves, and and the the uh, opinion section said that that link was added by an editor, um, which again makes no sense. Um, you know, it seems very what? unlikely, and why would you know, assuming they had a quote, the quote that's in the article, why would they not have searched for that quote? And why would they search for Juice's bedbugs? It, it, none of it makes any sense at all. Um, and so right. I'm, I'm confused about how the New York Times has handled all this. Yeah, I think right now the New York Times is standing behind their columnist because that's what you're supposed to do until the editorial leadership says, nope, we're going to take him aside, give him a talking to, maybe put him on vacation. Right. Um, so I think it's, it's acting the way you do when one of your people is making an ass of himself um, in public. Like, I'm not surprised that they haven't reached out to me with comment because I, I teach crisis communication sometimes. <laughs> and you, know, you stay quiet and you try to weather the storm and you tell your guy, hey, settle down. Um, but if he's going to keep on making an ass of himself, at some point, point, they need to worry about their own reputation as well. They look really bad in front of the entire country, right? Yeah. Yeah, the, the whole situation is... is is really bizarre i'm still just i'm sort of baffled um i'm i'm still really baffled that no one of the new york times even even with that policy and i get that policy too and i understand it and, and i do think it makes sense like if you're hiring you know opinion columnists to express their opinion you don't want to you know uh muffle their voice or, or change their voice right i mean you're hiring them to have their voice but you would think that someone would say this is going to reflect very poorly on everybody, and maybe we should maybe we should take some time and think about it. Um, but the the whole thing is it it still strikes me as as a, a really um, you know it, it's it's just a, a very very odd situation. And of course, like you know, the other thing is beyond the the basic Streisand effect of of making your joke more widely known, making um, Stephen's own sort of insecurities or thin skinnedness uh, more widely known. It's also sent people, you know, going back through through Stephen's own columns, going back many many years and finding examples of him doing the kinds of things that he's now complaining about. In particular, you know, two columns have turned up, one in which he uh, compared Palestinians to mosquitoes, uh, which if he's talking about calling people or you know, comparing people to uh, insects as a, a prelude to genocide, that seems uh, kind of interesting. And the other where he referred to Palestinians, again, Palestinians uh, as weeds, uh, and talks about why that metaphor works, um, which... Also strikes me as funny since she was so upset by your uh, much more tame uh, metaphor, um, and so like it's it's just worked to expose a whole bunch of his own whether it's hypocrisy or um, uh, you know different standards for different situations. All of that is now coming out because he took so much offense to to your joke, and, and so the whole thing seems like you know backfiring in a much bigger way than even just a standard Streisand effect. Right. Yeah. And again, the thing that shocked me as a strategic political communication guy, I, I assumed he was not going to write about this on Friday. Yeah. Or if he did, it would be some side reference that wasn't really about it. And that's because the 
only way that he could stop losing was to stop playing. Right. Like when the joke here is, wow, you are so massively overreacting to everything, you privileged white guy, <laughs> then saying, okay, but I'm going to use all of my privilege to really, really lay it home. How did you think that was going to turn out? <laughs> and so it, the, the, the trick with this stuff, usually if, if I had been in his position or if I had been advising him, I would have told him on Tuesday when he went on MSNBC to just say, you know, I was having a bad night last night. Uh, I sent an email I shouldn't have sent. I didn't think the guy should have posted it to social media. That was uncool, but it was a mistake. Let's move on. Right. And if he does that, then the Internet would have run out of jokes about it by, like, Tuesday afternoon, and we all would have moved on. Yeah. But by saying, well, this is the language of a totalitarian regime, that's then both ramping it up where – I'm going to respond, and also the entire internet's going to make fun of him because, really, have you been on social media? You think this is how bad it gets? Um, I also think it's noteworthy that he got to that point after Chris Jansen on air, kind of teased him and was like, "Really, is this the worst thing that has been said about you online?" And being faced with that, he moves from like, "We should all be civil to, oh, this is this is like totalitarian regimes." <laughs> right. so he, he's clearly flailing, and then he turns that into an entire columnist flailing. flailing. And as long as he does that, we're going to keep on making fun. There's only, the only way for him to win this is to wait until there's some other thing that we're focusing our attention on and then try to try to write a column about something else that, you know, is better than his normal column. Right, right. And you're right. I mean, he, as far as I'm concerned, he sort of had two, two, I guess, reasonable strategies to take. One is, is into the sort of outright apology and saying like, Hey, I overreacted. People overreact. And even, you know, I mean, it would be interesting to see if he could, actually learn something from it and and talk about how you know there there is an emotional reaction that people have and maybe that's why people sometimes act very offended and uh and and you know maybe even revisiting some of his earlier columns like that would have been a really interesting thing to to see him have a learning experience or the other is is you know as you said just to kind of be silent and shut up and and let it pass which is you know what what usually is recommended when you when you (laughs) mess up this (laughs) this much um, but you know, it, the idea that he doubled down, not once, but twice. And, and in both cases seemed to make the issue even worse, um, really gets at what you said, which is just sort of his, his view of the world and how it's supposed to react. And, and he can't fathom the idea that, that he may have been the one to have overreacted and he may have been the one to have become very offended when, when he really should not have. Um, and so yeah. I, I just find that baffling <laughs> um so I, I mean do you think again like um see now would be great if we could just pull him on the line and have him uh, give give his position but do you think he even at this point do you think he has any sense of how 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 much he screwed this up i i i have no idea i on the one hand, I can't imagine someone who hasn't figured out by now what he did wrong. Right. But also, I can't imagine someone who gets to Friday working <laughs> on that cobble without someone in their life who pulls them aside and says, you know, you don't, you don't really want to write a column that is going to be read as you equating being teased on Twitter to the actual Holocaust. Right. You, you really want to let this go and not do that. And if he can write that column, publish it, and I assume think that that means he's won the argument, 
I, I, I don't know if he's figured out yet. I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I just have this picture of him submitting that column and, and, and having this sort of overconfident smirk on his face and just saying, like, that'll show them, <laughs> and just yeah. be, being totally oblivious to what he's actually done, <laughs> which... Well, a, a colleague of mine, I'm in the School of Media and Public Affairs, so some of my colleagues are journalists. Right. And one of my journalist colleagues kind of uh, said to me, she said to me on Twitter, you know, what did I tell you about people who buy ink by the barrel? Um, you know, I, I think that was his, his thinking is like, I buy ink by the barrel. I've got a New York Times column. This guy doesn't. This is how I'm going to triumphantly end the argument. And again, I think that's a, a misread of how communication works today because yeah, it's still very powerful having a New York Times column, but also even if he buys ink by the barrel, ink is a lot cheaper than it used to be. Yeah. So he yeah. writes that, and then all of Twitter makes fun of him, and all of making fun of him, then tra- I mean, everything from Breitbart to the Washington Post to the Nation magazine to Talking Points Memo has been making fun of him this weekend. Right. Which, if you took the time to look through all my past tweets, like. Breitbart and Daily Caller should really not be on my side in general. I make more fun of them than I do of Brett Stevens. Right. Um, like I, 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 I'm on the progressive side of the spectrum, and I study media and I study politics. So I, I make a lot of comments about a lot of things. Everyone is united against him, which means he just doesn't get to end the argument in the way that I think he assumed he could end it. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, it's still stunning to me that that he would he would still think that the you know the the sort of ink by the barrel um world still works the way he he seemed to think it it works and yeah i mean he's he's been in media for a while so maybe he sort of um you know overestimates how powerful that is but there's there's another comment that you made that i i thought was interesting in sort of explaining this which is you know you said um in in a few places uh you know that you know, this this was all sort of in good fun and a joke, um, and everyone sort of had fun with it last week. And then, you know, he's sort of taken it to a different level that is perhaps not as funny. I mean, to to effectively compare you to to the Nazi regime um, is, you know, that's that's not that funny. I think. I mean, you know, the the, the sort of circumstances under which that came about is you know, uh, ridiculous and funny in, in understanding all of that context. But from your perspective, you've just been effectively compared to a, to the Nazi regime in, you know, the most famous newspaper in the world. Um, and so, you know, how how do you feel about that? And, and sort of, you know, I know you've made this comment that it's, it's sort of, that's not funny anymore. Um, so, so what do you think about that? So I'll say that I, I had a real bad weekend. I was enjoying, I was at a major academic conference all, all week and all weekend. And Friday I was kind of enjoying that this whole thing was over. And right. you know, it was like, this was good fun. I wrote a couple pieces I'm proud of. A bunch of people just started following me on Twitter. That's kind of weird. <laughs> and it was nice that it was over. And I, I'm at a, a, the business meeting for the section of American Political Science Association I'm involved with. And at the end of it, somebody shows me uh, just a screenshot of the tweet where you mentioned bed bugs. That's when I typed out, Oh my God, what does he want? Why does he want this to keep going? Right. And then I read the whole article and it went from, God, he's making a slight bed bug mention. We're still into it to, you know, really, really gut punched that pages of the New York Times. I went from, I went a week from being some random guy who made a Twitter joke that some people, like a couple people thought were funny. I thought it was funnier than most of my audience. <laughs> I got nine likes only. 
Um, like going from that to a Nazi in the New York Times, that's disproportionate yeah. to a point that isn't funny. Uh, and, you know, that was hard to take all week or all weekend, even though objectively, I mean, it, it's, it's been shocking that I haven't, I haven't gotten trolls. I haven't gotten death threats. I think this is mostly because both sides of the political spectrum don't like Brett Stevens and <laughs> Donald Trump even tweeted against him. So right. the, the people who would usually show up in these partisan fights to make your life hell when you're in the middle of a social media storm, that they didn't make my life hell because they were making fun of Brett Stevens too. Um, so ob- objectively, even that was less bad than I think most people face when they're in the middle of a social media storm. But still, it, it's it, it's a bridge too far. It's an abuse of the biggest privilege that he has. You know, for him to use that the the limited space of the New York Times for a personal vendetta like that is the type of thing that's embarrassing for him. It's embarrassing for them, and it sucks to be the target of it. Yeah, yeah, and I and I I get that. And you're right. I mean, it is interesting, right? I mean, because any time there's any sort of you know political um, food fight for, for lack of a better term, like you usually do get trolls coming out on one side or the other, um, frankly. And, and, uh, well, I think we can agree that one side here is often worse than the other. (laughs) Um, but this, this is a weird one in that, um, you know, everybody seems to hate him, (laughs) which is so bizarre. Uh, and, um, and so, so I can imagine that, that, yeah, you 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 haven't. I mean, have you gotten any pushback at all? The pushback that I've gotten has come from boomers and a surprising number of emeritus professors, huh. which is professor for people who don't know the lingo. That means that it's somebody who is retired but uh, still has a role in the university because they've been such a good contributor over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's basically a retiree crowd that has been sending me emails saying that I should be embarrassed for using such language, it's uncivil, and I should apologize. Um, Which, again, like, in terms of Internet hate mail, like, it's pretty incredible to be in the center of the social media storm, and all you get is the baby boomers and the retirees. Like, that's that's not how these things are supposed to work. It's supposed to be a lot tougher. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if that says something about Brett Stevens' audience as well. But... um... I think it does. I think it does a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's 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 really interesting. I mean, I, it's, uh, I'm almost as fascinated by that as anything else. I mean, I can't think of any other sort of, um, you know, sort of social media viral story where people almost universally seem to side with one side, and 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 very very few people were were sort of um, defending the other side. And so that's that's really interesting in its own way. Um, as just something that's that's different um, and and somewhat unexpected, I would think. Yeah, I I think it puts it in the same realm as the the cultural viral story. So like thinking back to the dress, right? Like sure. the fight is over. Is it or is it gold and black or or, or is it blue and gold or black and something? Um, <laughs> it was blue and black or and white you know, like, white and gold. But yes, yeah, like there's two sides to that. But everyone is remarking on the dress phenomenon nobody is like saying that if you're on the wrong side of this then 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 you're wrong and you should burn in hell right um so i think it's kind of more like that that cultural politics or like that that cultural moment that we're in when we're not thinking about politics and of course for the past couple of years we've all been 
grappling with politics all the time. And I think right. a big part of why this blew up wasn't just him being a jerk, but we finally get to revel at a story which is basically about nothing, and that's kind of relaxing for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as as sort of an expert in in political communications and and, and such, um, like what, if anything, are the lessons that you think should or could be learned? Perhaps not by Brett Stevens because he doesn't seem to be open to learning about anything, but for for everyone else, uh, for your students and and anyone listening to this podcast, um, what kind of lessons are there from this whole uh, situation? This old lesson which I'm particularly reminded of because it's on the syllabus for, like, next week. Um, <laughs> I teach my students, uh, Saul Alinsky, the, the old radical organizer, has this book, Rules for Radicals, mm-hmm. which is still very useful in the classroom. Uh, and when he's teaching about campaigning and activism and tactics, he talks about the power of ridicule mm-hmm. when you are fighting against people in power. Um, I think this is a really good reminder that, particularly for people who are in positions of privilege, who have become convinced that they deserve to be in those positions, ridicule can be really powerful. Yeah. Right? Like, it's, it's still, despite that column on Friday, most likely he's still just going to have his column. Right? right? Like, six months from now, Brett Stevens is still going to be publishing columns that I and people like me find annoying. Uh, he's probably still going to have this nickname now because he doubled down so hard. <laughs> right. But besides that, he's still going to have all the privilege that he had before. He's just going to get teased a little more than he did before. He was already getting teased. Yeah. But this week-long meltdown is now going to get remembered, and that's because when they've got that much structural power and privilege, but they also think they deserve it, then they open themselves up to ridicule, and that's a powerful weapon. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I mean, there's always this discussion about like punching up versus punching down, right? And and you know how usually you say, you know, the the you know humor, uh, good humor is often seen around, um, you know, punching up, uh, and whereas it seems like you know his focus is very much on punching down, um, which again, you know, is is sort of a, an, an element of where he is in the world and the way he sees the world, um, and that it's his sort of his sort of you know power and privilege to be able to punch down at anyone who who tries to punch up at him, um, which yep. you know is is uh, is is revealing in its own way. Yeah, the the thing I would layer onto that, there's punching up versus punching down. It matters a lot that he's punching down. I think it also matters a lot that in 2019, you you always have to be aware that you don't get to decide what type of conversation you're having. Like he wanted to be having a conversation with me and the management. And he was both punching down and also extremely overreacting. Maybe because he's just genuinely offended that some professor would, you know, make fun of him, but also maybe because he, he figured if he's going to perform that way, it's going to make the manager that much worried, that much more worried and more likely to say, take me aside and say, you really got to be careful when you're making fun of the New York Times. We don't want to get in trouble. Right. Um, so I, I think he thought he was having one type of conversation. And I took a look at it and said, no, you're, you're having a conversation with the entire Internet now, which he did not like. Um, but it's both punching up versus punching down. But if he had punched down, but in a manner that when people looked at it, they felt like, okay, yeah, you're more powerful, that guy, but you also have a really good point, mm-hmm. then – it wouldn't have gone great for him, but it, it wouldn't have gone nearly this bad. I think it 
it matters both are you punching up or punching down, and also what happens to this conversation when it stops being the conversation you wanted to have. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's that's also that's a really good point. Um, and and it should be noted, right, that that your university has very much stood behind you and and said you're free to yeah to to say what you want. Um, and um, if I understand correctly, they they also invited. Uh, Brett Stevens to come to campus, and I, I think I saw that he is going to come to campus at some point. Yeah, so we're we're still working at the dates. I am, uh, you know, like th- there's still a chance that it falls through slash he decides that uh, <laughs> he wants to do something else at this time. Um, but he told the Washington Post what back on seems like a light year ago now, but back on Tuesday night uh, that he was graciously accepting the invitation. We've been working out the details, trying to find the date and try to figure it all out. But the idea is for you know, he invited me to come to his house, come to his house and say it to his face. Mm-hmm. The idea is for him to come to my metaphorical house, my place of work, and we'll have this conversation face to face in front of an audience there. Yeah, um, which I, I think that would I think that'll be great. I hope we can work it out. Yeah, no, I mean that that would be really interesting. And again, you know, I th- I think in his case, if if by the time that happens, he's actually reflected on this and maybe recognized some of uh, at least some of the mistakes that he might have made, um, I'm I'm not confident that he would. In in which case, he'll just give more fuel to the fire for 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 this whole thing. Um, but what a what a weird situation i i i'm i'm you know he's really got to figure something out before he takes the stage with me because if he comes up and says you know how dare you call me a bug and the easy first response is right but you called me a nazi right but yeah like he he went full streisand and then full godwin (laughs) right you're, you're gonna need to reflect a little after that that is a difficult combo yeah yeah, I don't know if anyone has ever done that uh, and 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 hit both of those. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like someone had to. But the other thing I, I mentioned this in a column I just posted. But Godwin's law is supposed to be for like internet discussion boards. It's not supposed to be for the op-ed page of the New York Times. Yeah. So you know, there's it's a big internet. Someone must have pulled off that before, but not on this stage. Like that's really. Wow, how do you not have anybody take you aside and say this is not going to go great for you, buddy? Yeah, yeah, no, and, and I think that's a really good point, right? I mean, the whole the whole idea of of you know what what Mike Godwin came up with, um, as we've discussed on this podcast in the past with with Godwin is you know that that he was talking about internet forums and just sort of the nature of the debates there to take that and sort of do a a you know, Godwin's law style response, but using the pages of the New York times to do so, um, that's pretty impressive in, in all sorts of ways. Um, and, and, and certainly has to be a first <laughs> as far as I can tell. Um, it's, that's just kind of insane. Um, anyway, uh, I, I'm, you know, <laughs> I keep stumbling over words because th- this whole situation is so bizarre and so weird. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that, that you had the time to, to chat about this and, and that we could talk about it. But part of me is just like, I can't believe this is happening. And I'm sure that's even more so for your case <laughs> and, and, and yeah. in terms of reacting to all this. Yeah. I've spent a lot of my time just kind of like people have been seeing me and saying, how are you doing? And the first reaction is just kind of shake your head, like shake my head and head and grin. Yeah, um, it's been more fun than it's supposed to be. And again, that's because I'm a white guy with tenure, so that has protected me from a lot of the danger that I think I could have faced. And since neither side of the political spectrum has his back, I haven't faced the threats. 
So yeah. it, it, it's been exhausting, but it's been a lot of fun, but just so bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, uh, as you said, it is sort of, uh, I guess it's, it's to some extent, sort of the uh, end of summer, back to school uh, fun story that everybody gets to, <laughs> to join in on um, in, in some sense. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, kudos to you, at least for, you know, you've really handled it incredibly well uh you know again as you mentioned you know the 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 cost to you perhaps has not been very high so that allows you to to have more fun with it but um you know it's it's been really impressive how you've handled the whole situation and you know you've written a couple pieces now i guess you've written you know two pieces for esquire piece for the la times i don't know if anywhere else as well but they've all been really really thoughtful um a lot more thoughtful and well written than than steven's own pieces i would say um and so you know i think you know you've done a really great job uh, you know handling the situation and, and responding in a you know really thoughtful way um to what could have been you know could have been pretty intense for you as well yeah thanks a lot um, and so, you know, th- thanks for taking the time to do this podcast. I know that suddenly you've had all these media requests, and so you've been really busy. Uh, so I appreciate that, and I'm sure that our listeners appreciate it as well. So uh, thanks again. Thank you. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And uh, we'll be back next week with uh, something else. All right.